You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Due to the coronavirus, we are going to go to the Word of God and continue on in Colossians. Uh, And I say that because... um, I do want that to, uh, you know, it isn't that Darren, you know, couldn't have taken time to think of something else to say that had more, I mean, more um, uh, practical relevance to world events, but there's something about uh, preaching expositionally, systematically through the Bible that, that I wanted to communicate something profound to us, that what we need most as we go through this life, is the inspired word that God has given to us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof, for correction and error, for training and righteousness, that the, the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. Now, what, what the scripture has done in coming to us is that God has inspired men to write these things down, that we might read of it, that we might be fully equipped It's able to reprove for correction and error, for training and righteousness, teaching us doctrine, that we would be fully equipped. And so, yes, what you need most in the midst of whatever crisis comes in your life is is what God is speaking to you in his word. And so it's not just a statement of, well, Darren didn't have time or want to think of something else to do this week, but making the intentional decision, what are we going to focus on? Well, what's next for us in the text? Every word of this is God-breathed and profitable for us. And so we're going to dig into and go all the way into the book of Colossians. And by all the way, I mean uh, finish the first two verses. All right? I, I got a little bit of... I got, so we started Colossians last week and we got, uh, we got through, we got into the first two verses. Well, today we're going to get through the first two verses of Colossians chapter one, verses one through two. But I will, in order for context, uh, just to, to get some Bible into us again, we'll read again the first 14 verses and then just jump back into the first two. So, Join me in Colossians, page 1168 of your pew Bible. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Grass withers, the flower fades, and word of our God stands forever. What you are connected to and what connects you to it can make all the difference. What it is that you are connected to and what you are connected to it with makes all the difference. How great is the object that you are connected to? And then, and then what, what are you connected to it with? I have in my, in my head an image of a boat anchored to the shore or anchored to something. And, and what, what makes all the difference for that boat is, first of all, what is it anchored to? Is it just anchored to a, a, a rusty, falling apart dock or some other boat that's sinking? What's it anchored to? But secondly, what is it anchored with? If it's just anchored with a, a, a junky old rope that's getting ready to pull apart, it's not going to do much good. As I looked over at Eric, I just thought of another. I mean, as he's, uh, you think about as he's moving these uh, stones around to cemeteries, it matters two things. When he's traveling, what are they traveling on? He doesn't go get my Mustang. He doesn't go get my old car to try to move a stone around. And hopefully he anchors it more than just with some fishing line or something like that, right? What matters is what, it's what you are anchored to and also what you are anchored with. So Paul, what we are anchored to and what you are anchored with are two huge questions. And Paul in this introduction is, is giving a, 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 some huge concepts of where the church of Colossae is to have, find their anchor and where, what, that it, what they are actually anchored with. Where they are anchored and what they are anchored with. So after Paul has named his audience, last week we talked about, he calls them saints or holy, the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, in Colossae. He, he goes on with this standard greeting. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He continues on with, with that standard greeting. Now, ask yourself a little Bible trivia question. How many of Paul's letters, excluding Hebrews, because we don't really know, but excluding that, that's not Pauline, we'll say that. How many of Paul's letters does he start with grace to you and peace? How many of them? You don't have to answer if you don't want to, but just think. How many of them? All of them is the answer. And so you can flip back to Philippians and you find there on page 1164, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip back to the Ephesians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You go to Galatians verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could also look at how Paul ends every one of his letters. 
at the end of Galatians, page 1158, uh, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. The end of Ephesians, same thing. Grace, uh, verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. You go to the end of Colossians even, and there at the end, Paul, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. He bookends all of these letters with these two, with these colossal uh, words in the Christian faith. Grace to you and peace. Grace and peace. So you can flip around and see that. But Paul packs a lot of theology in his greetings. And I know we're spending now the second week in the first three verses. I think this will pick up. I don't promise it, but I think this will pick up come next week. But two weeks here in just these first two verses, because Paul is packing so much into this greeting. Now, you may think, you know, what are these terms, grace and peace? He's using it so frequently, maybe that's just the common greeting back in that time, right? Maybe everyone just, that's the way, like, when you're trained in school, you write sincerely, right? Sincerely so-and-so, uh, you know, or dear so-and-so, and then sincerely might be at the end, uh, sincerely Darren. And then you're trained how to write a letter. Well, they weren't unlearned back at this time when, when Paul is writing letters. They had a letter-writing style, they had a certain way, certain common greetings that if you look at these letters from antiquity, this is, this is the arrangement of their letters. And so you think, well, maybe this is just the way that Paul writes. He's just saying grace to you in peace. Maybe that was a common vernacular, but, but it isn't. This is an intentional move by Paul. When you look at, and I, the, the commentators that I read, when you look at the standard greeting from in, the, in these Greek letters, the, the standard word there was a kairain, which is, and it is the Greek word kairain, which is for greetings. It would say greetings. That was a common way that they would start the letters. They would say kairain, greetings. But Paul uses a word that's very close. It is karis, the C-H-A-R, they're all the same except for the ending few letters. He ends with an S. He has this unique Christian word of charis, grace, grace to you. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that Greek right, but no one does anyway because we've lost the actual pronunciation of Koine Greek, so I get off, I get off the hook on it. But it's grace, grace to you. It is, a, it is a uniquely Christian word that Paul fills his letters with. I mean, if you just do a simple search in your Bible for the word grace, the one that I found in, in the ESV, it's used 118 times in the New Testament. So get your Bibles out. We're going to look at all 100, just kidding. We're not going to look at all 118. Some of you laughed. We're not going to look at all 118 uses of the word grace. But this is an important term in the mind of Paul when he's writing to his churches, this idea of grace and peace. And the rest of this letter is going to work out these ideas of, of God's grace and the peace that is secured to us by God's grace. But it is an intentional move by Paul. So what is then the, the synthesis? What is the main idea? This, this word grace. I'm just going to take a few minutes this morning to talk just basic kind of Christianity. We, we, this faith emphasizes the grace of God, a, a very important concept for us to understand. A common definition of grace goes something like this. It's 
is this from one of the Bible dictionaries I picked. You can find many of them. They'll all say something along these lines. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward humanity and especially his people realized through the covenant and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. A very simple just definition. Grace is unmerited favor. It is it is favoring someone regardless of whether they deserve your favor or have earned your favor. You have an unmerited favor. They have not necessarily deserved it. Maybe they even don't deserve it, but you give them your favor. That is grace, unmerited favor. Sometimes we think, we think of grace and mercy. Mercy is, is not giving someone what they deserve. So you would, like you might go before the magistrate or a judge and ask for mercy. You would say, have mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. That's what mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting good that you don't deserve. It's on the positive side even of mercy. So mercy and grace are kind of similar, similar concepts. Mercy is not getting the thing you deserve. And, but grace is actually favor coming upon you that you don't deserve. So grace is this God's unmerited favor. It's why we sing. It's why John Newton, in the song that we just sung this morning, Amazing Grace, is blown away by this concept of grace because it's unmerited favor that, that, that comes upon God's people. Now, there is a sense in which God's everyone is a recipient of God's grace. It's the idea, theologically, of common grace. That every one of us, every human being on the planet is a recipient of God's common grace. Oxygen is a common grace. We all need it. We don't have a right to it. But we are given it. God has created a planet and put us on it with an inhabitable atmosphere that we can breathe oxygen in. That is common grace. That is nothing we deserve, but it is given to us. Sunshine is a common grace, and it's a very um, unique and, and, and sought-after common grace this time of, of year. We want lots of sunshine, uh, it, but it is common grace. It, everyone gets it. Do we, have we earned the sun? <laughs> Do, can we say to God, you owe us sunshine? No. But it's, it's there and we get it and everyone gets it. It's a, it is a common grace. Beauty that's in nature is a common grace. We can, we can look around and even, even an atheist can look around and see, someone who doesn't believe in God, can look and see beauty in nature. Can look at a sunset and say, I, didn't ha I can't demand that God make anything look beautiful, but yet here he is doing it. And I understand beauty when I see it. You know, that, that, that's a common grace. Art and music are common graces that are shared by all of humanity. But in Paul's letters to his churches, there's a special, a particular grace, a special grace that belongs to those who are God's people. He speaks of the gospel of grace or the news of grace or of saving grace. It is God's unmerited favor toward a people that doesn't count their sins against them, but forgives them on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. Again, why does he do this? 
Why, why, why is, was this saving grace given? Why does he do this? It is out of a motive of grace, unmerited favor. Now, that's a huge concept that Christianity brings to the table, brings out for us. This idea of salvation being by grace, being adopted into God's family by grace, by God's unmerited favor. That is a huge concept to lock into your mind about what the, the work of God's salvation by grace, what it means. Because the world and its religions ha have a very different idea of how you find favor with God. It is shape up, get right, and earn God's favor. If you want to be in favor with the gods or the God or the, the no gods of this world, then find a way to work a bargain so that you can impress the God or the gods or the no God to have favor. They'll offer, you have to, in order to find their favor, you have to put in the effort to appease them. There's a trade-off that happens. You give God what he wants and he'll give you what you want. But what is that called? If you have to earn God's grace, it is no longer grace. It's a wage. It's a wage. If you have to get it by doing something, it's no longer grace by its very definition. It is a wage. It is something that you have earned. And we know the only wage that we earn, if you've got your CYF verses stuck in you, Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death. That's the wage that we have actually earned. If we're talk, going to talk about what we earn, it is condemnation. It is death. Romans 6.23. That is what makes the Christian message of salvation so amazing. Because it is not about your earning of it. It is about God's giving of it by unmerited favor, by grace alone. It is purely out of the grace of God that we have salvation. Paul, in, uh, go to with me to Ephesians chapter 2, um, verses 8, 9, and 10. This is a famous passage. You, uh, if you don't know it, go home and think on it. Tuck it away. A very powerful verse. Good one to just know. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace, unmerited favor, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is not a work there. It's just the instrument through which it passes through. Grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift. Same idea there of grace. The gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works do come along after the saving that which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But it is by grace, through faith. And all of that is this gift of God. Paul writes to them a reminder of this grace. This God who does not, did not stand far off and wait for us to climb our way up to him. But instead came down as a man, Jesus Christ, born Christmas Day that we celebrate, lives the righteous life we should have lived, dies the death that we deserve, goes in the tomb for three days, resurrects, ascends into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, where he now intercedes for us. All of that done to rescue you, though you did not merit it. 
Faith is the instrument by which we grab hold of that promise, but it is all of God's grace. Even the faith that sees that, even the faith that grabs hold of that is, according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, a gift of God. We are saved by His grace. Grace to you. A huge concept. It is a humbling reality to think about there is nothing that I have done that has brought me to God. I have done nothing to impress God. The work has not been done by me. The work has been done by Him. And I simply come as a beggar needing the bread of life. And what does God do? He gives it. He gives it. Unmeritoriously. In fact, even though we didn't deserve it, God gives Grace. So this grace comes to us, right? He's, Paul is writing, grace to you and peace. This reality of peace because of the grace of God, because he has saved us by his own will and his own power, we now have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, there, 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's the, the instrument, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Grace and peace are these mutual gifts coming to us from God. So maybe a word on peace in our world today this is not a peace that is somehow unaware uh, of the difficulties that do come in this life. It's not unaware of the troubles that do surround us. It's not a peace that um, brashly disregards wisdom because, well, I've got peace. I'm just going to do what I want to do. It's not a, a peace that whistles while it walks into calamity. That's all foolishness. But it is a real peace that is grounded in the objective reality of a union with God, a union with Him, a real position of unmerited favor with the Most High God, so that when the danger and trouble of life comes to the individual, they'll not be thrown off course because they know they have peace with God because of His grace. They'll not be thrown off course. We got him. He ends this and grounds it all. This is a grace to you and a peace from God, who? God our Father. Paul ends this short greeting that is the ground where that is exactly where he grounds all of his opening. The reality of our union with Christ and the fatherhood of God for all of his people. Paul says that grace and peace come to the church from God our Father. Now, that's a, that's a revolutionary idea. Uh, speaking in this language, Jesus brings all of this new thought of, of actually referencing to God as this father, this, this daddy, this, this close relationship as father. There's definitely a family vibe going on. He starts off with, to the saints and faithful brothers, right? Paul is using all this family language. And remember, Paul has not met these people. He didn't plant this church. He doesn't know. He hasn't met them. Epaphras planted the church, comes to Rome, and talks to Paul, and yet he calls them brothers and sisters and rejoices with them, pronounces a blessing upon them because of their mutual position in Christ as a gift from 
our Father. That in itself was a picture of grace, right? No relationship to Paul. They don't know him. They have no obligation, no right to say, Paul, you need to send us a letter. Paul, you need to bless us and encourage us. But Paul, out of grace, out of his own divine, his own, not divine, but his own determined uh, decision, he writes this letter to them. He reaches out to them with favor. What is given to us in the gospel message is a belonging to God the Father through faith in Christ according to his grace. Now, the reason why this is so important to ground ourselves in this truth is because of the reality of who this God is. I mean, just you can say all you want, grace from God, peace, peace in God, our Father. But when we move on into the end of this letter, Paul's going to take up this high doctrine of who God is, who Christ is. We're calling this Christ is supreme. And we're only, we're only two verses in. We haven't got to that stuff yet. We're, we're working our way there. But Paul on the front end is loading all the importance of this union with him, the grace and peace that comes from being in Christ. All of this coming by the grace of God through the Father. All of this is important because what we're going to see is this grand God, as our Psalm 11 talks about, this God who is on his throne. Who are we being united to? Who is this grace and peace coming from? The God over all of creation. Back to our initial question, illustration. What are you grounded to? Well, if if the what you are anchored to is God himself, the sovereign creator of the universe, by his grace, through faith in Christ, is there any firmer place to have your anchor held? No, that was a rhetorical question. No. There's no place in this life, in this world, in these relationships, in circumstances here in this life, there is no firmer place to anchor your life than in the one who is over it all. Is there, what are you anchored to him with? His own grace. Grace coming to you through faith in Christ. It isn't that you have grasped him so much as it is he has grasped you. You're anchored to the God sovereign over it all. And so you can't get a bigger thing to anchor up against. And the thing that you're anchored to him with is not some rotting line. It's not even the power of your own will or your own good works. You're anchored to him by his own grace. He has reached out and grasped you. That is the anchor. If you, it is not that you have grasped him, but God in his grace through the gift of faith in Christ has grasped you. How firm is the one you are anchored to? If it's God, he's immovable. He made it all and sustains it all. And how firm is your anchor line? If it is his grace that secures you, it is not you who hold on to him so much as it is him who holds on to you. There is no firmer grip than his. There is no firmer grip than this. If you are God's through faith, repentance, faith in Jesus Christ, you can be certain that it is his grace that has worked in your heart to make it so. If you have abandoned your rebellious pursuits to trust in Christ, repenting from those things that displease him, trusting in Christ alone for your, save, for your salvation, it is grace that has worked that in your heart. 
And if he has worked that in your heart, you can likewise be certain that his grace is not a failing grace. He is an anchor hold that cannot be moved, and he's an anchor line that cannot be weakened. He will work all of his purposes for your good and for his glory. And so, as Paul writes, may the grace and peace of our Father in heaven ground us and guard us today and every day of our lives. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see this. We pray, as always, for mercy and grace. God, forgive us for our rebellious pursuits, our turning away from you. And by your good grace, God, we do not come this morning thinking that somehow we have earned your pleasure. We know that it is upon your grace that you have favor on those who don't deserve it. And so, Father, grace and peace, may they be multiplied among us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.